Oh my god. What? We're back at it again. Whoop whoop. It's numbers on the boards, presented by the great people at Bedgear. I am looking forward, Skin, seeing as we're recording this at 1045 on what day of the week is it? I think it's Thursday. Thursday night. Right. Today is the day where no one knows what day it is. No. But the Mavs just played the Nets. I'm looking forward to going home and putting my head on my bed gear pillow after this game because, good golly, I am tired. Uh, but hey. Yeah. Well, I think we're all sort of under the weather and I need some sleep, but I'm still buzzing because, number one, good win, six-game homestand. You got to get it off to a good start and you're missing two of your starters. And then, uh, number two, we haven't done numbers on the boards in two weeks because of the holidays. So yeah, it's been we a long time. had to get this done. Yeah, it has been a long time. Now, I think it's a good thing that we were on uh, what it, furlough, I guess, for a little while. Because sure. uh, I know you're going through it right now. I'm sure you toughed it out on the broadcast, and you're about to tough it out on this podcast, too. But a few days ago, I was not feeling too great. Oh, were you so, feeling the sick? Yeah, I was, I was in it pretty bad. Uh, every time the weather changes, I get a little stuffy. Uh, the allergist describes it as that I'm not allergic, but that my sinuses are just extremely weak. Well, like, tell him to do something about it, man. Why yeah, is he being such a jerk? Give me a new sinus. Yeah, bro. You bum. So uh, anyway, the problem is the weather changes like every day here. So I'm almost always sick during the winter. Always. You know what? I'll blame it problem. on that because I did go to San Francisco for the Golden State Warriors game. So maybe just the shift. Mm-hmm. Then again, my wife is sick and my daughter. We're all sick. So what the hell? Yeah, you got kids, man. I'm sure one person gets sick and it's just... <laughs> Three weeks of illness in the Wade household. Did the mic pick up that cough? Uh, hope so. Okay, good. If not, I'll edit it in later. Nice. Okay. Uh, so we're in. Uh, I don't really know where we're where we are. This, in this is building. where no. This is where the uh, halftime act comes and preps. Okay. Okay. So the prep uh, room for the halftime act. tonight. It was like the amazing Dan or something. I forget what the guy was, but he was kind of like sort of like an illusionist magician. He had some okay. swords in a box and stuff with a, a woman like in the box and he put swords through it but it, it didn't stab her it was like a freemason or something yeah 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 it was a lot of a lot of colonial sympathizers <laughs> uh but uh yeah so he was in here um yeah we're here after the game the mavs beat the nets 123 to 111 we'll talk about the game for a little bit and then uh, a little later on we're going to talk about the great war on uh, the purity of basketball oh we got to save that yeah skin and i have a few takes on that so definitely uh stay tuned for that but in the meantime, uh, Skin, you and I talked for a little bit before this podcast about this game to see uh, how interesting it was. And I think we kind of view it not in two different ways, but two different things stood out to uh, the both of us. Yeah. First, uh, well, I guess let's start with what you think, because I think all of the your, your kind of takeaway from this led to my takeaway in the end. Well, uh, number one, with the guys being out, you know, some dudes stepped up that Maxie Cleveland, the last couple of games have been incredible. Mm. <coughs> but definitely got that cough. Good, good, good. But, uh, you know, having to tweak the lineup and the rotations, and then Luca going to the bench early, and then getting the four fouls, he his performance was just different than because at the end of the first quarter, I'm used to always looking down. He's played 11 and a half minutes, and he has 13 points and, you know, five assists and six rebounds or whatever. Mm hmm. And because he played fewer minutes, he didn't have as many points. And then I was wondering about his rhythm. And then he got the four fouls. And quite frankly, I think he was a little, I don't know, like a little bit taken out. Like he didn't quite recover from not getting that four-point play call. Mm -hmm. It was like the whole team was sort of out of sorts. Yeah. And so. That was at the peak of when things were getting kind of weird. It got real weird. 
But, uh, man, when he came back in, I think he hit five consecutive shots at one point or six maybe. He was so, so good. And uh, and it was just really important uh, for him to shine in a big way because they can't have a three-game losing streak. And you don't want to lose a game to Brooklyn. And Brooklyn's lost four of their last five going into this. So they were desperate. So this was a really big win when you look at the way the Mavericks had to go about doing it. Mm, yeah, especially with two games after this that you definitely need to win. But on oh, the yeah. other side of those – Three games and four nights against the Nuggets, the Lakers, and the Sixers. And that is going to be super tough. You can play well and lose all three games. Absolutely. So kind of whenever they're mired in, I think for the first time all year, outside of that one kind of, I guess it was bigger than a hiccup, but whenever they lost to Boston and New York, this is the only other time they've lost back-to-back games mm-hmm. this season. And so kind of safe to say that they're in a bit of a slump. Coming into this game without two starters – thinking, man, this is going to be tough. Even yeah. though everyone is hurt on the Nets, too, man. I mean, neither of these teams can catch a break. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie plays hard. He's yeah. the kind of guy that gives the Mavs fits. I love got, Dinwiddie. Yeah, you got two really, really good rolling big men in DeAndre and Jared Allen, and both of those guys had some pretty thunderous finishes tonight. But And they rebound. They they hit the offensive glass, and you're down Porzingis. Yeah, and they play hard. I mean, it's, it's not necessarily even the big guys. I mean, we know that DeAndre gets a lot of rebounds, and Jared Allen is averaging a double-double. Surprisingly, he came off the bench tonight. I think that was like a revenge game thing. I think so, too. But, uh, I mean, guys like... Joe Harris and Timothy Luawu Cabarro and Rodion's Kuruks, these aren't guys aside from Harris that get big minutes consistently, but they got a chance tonight and they responded by playing super hard, crashing the glass, flying all over the floor, taking charges. Yeah. Uh, Brooklyn plays really, really hard and they're frenetic. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Frenetic is a good word to describe them. And they're pretty small too. And those kinds of teams have given the Mavs fits for years. Right. They've always been a tough matchup. So um, I'm happy with this win. Yeah, me too. Me too. It feels really good. And and tonight I feel like was kind of a testament to both uh, Rick Carlisle and Kenny Atkinson, Brooklyn's head coach, because whenever you're two teams that are playoff contenders that are down multiple starters, uh-huh. and even though Brooklyn's been without Irving and uh, Karis LeVert for a long time, I mean, being down those guys for 30 games is super tough, even once you're used to it. Yeah. And on top of it, Garrett Temple missed the game too, and he's been starting for them. So he inserted Rodion's Kuruks, who's barely even playing into the lineup and he responded but he had a good game God, he did crashes glass hard yeah he plays really really hard um but i think kind of the 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 first sign that this was going to be a kind of a coaching uh clinic was four minutes into the game the mavs are down like 13 to 3 or 15 to 5 or something yep, their yep. offense was just junked up because yep. deandre was sagging way off all these screens with Powell Missing against shots. both luca and jj yeah and so the mavs were having to keep it on the perimeter they couldn't make any shots and rick pulled Powell right away and then in the second half, Maxi started, started the second half. Yeah. And from then on out, from four minutes into the game, you had Powell mirroring Jared Allen and Maxi mirroring uh, DeAndre Jordan for the most part. Boban got some run to give those guys a little bit of a breather. But for the most part, they were shadowing and mirroring the, uh, the other guy. And that adjustment worked out really well. But that's something that Rick hasn't necessarily done as much, I don't think, over the last couple seasons because the priorities are a little different, right? Yeah, it's yeah, about yeah. Like development and in Maxi's defense too. I mean, this is his third year in the league. The first two years you needed to know if he was good before you could kind of do this sort of thing. But um You know what he, I just realized? What's that? You know, you said he probably started DeAndre as a revenge game. Mm-hmm. And I think I just immediately said you're right. He started DeAndre because the Mavericks start pal. And DeAndre doesn't want to go out on the perimeter you know? and that might be that's, true. That's why they did it. Yeah. Because you said it yourself. They mirrored each other the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when you see when Maxi checked in, 
no hesitation on the catch and shoot because oh, he yeah. knew DeAndre was not going to come out there. Yeah. To cover. Well, and then DeAndre did step out, and they he kind of showed hard on Luca, and Luca just threw a lob pass right over his head. Yeah. I mean, DeAndre, I know he faced a lot of criticism for the way he played last year, but he can still take up a lot of space around the rim oh, and yeah. just even if he's not like a Rudy Gobert level shot blocker just him being around the rim he's a big guy tall guy imposing intimidating that affects the way that guys play yeah and so Luca and JJ are not turning the corner as hard whenever they see him standing right there and it really junks up the offense and so pulling him away from the basket you saw in the third quarter Maxi kind of saved this game in addition to Seth Curry but uh it was him Coming away from the rim, spacing the spacing the floor, hitting threes. He's now uh, hit seven out of 13 threes in the last two games. I know at one point, I didn't see how it ended. I don't know if you have a box score in front of you, but at I one do. point, Seth and Maxie were eight of nine from three. They finished the game eight for nine. Okay. Yeah, they finished the game eight for nine, and including kind of a horse shot from Seth that you only take whenever you're really, really feeling it. That yeah. sort of sidestep Seth three. Seth was so good. He was really good, and he has not been very good lately. Last five games, 24% from the field, 28% from three. Uh, missed a lot of big shots in OKC, and then against the Lakers, too. I mean, they just couldn't get anything going, but the bench tonight scored 62 points. Bam. Headlined by 25 from Curry, 18 from Maxi. So that was really good, but Rick did a lot of other things, too. I mean, eventually he stopped playing Luka and JJ together, uh -huh. one or the other. Um, he rode the hot hand with Curry. Curry played 31 minutes. That's the most he's played in a long time. Um, whenever things were getting kind of strange, Jalen didn't play in the first half at all, I don't think. He didn't play until like the final minute or two of the third. Yeah, but he played 11 minutes tonight. Yeah. Because the, and he, he was they, good. They figured something out, yeah. And uh, without Luka, the bench was able to hit enough shots in the second quarter. You know, the Nets kind of were running away with it for a little while, but they, they ended the quarter on a run and uh, ended up keeping it close. Just He pushed a lot of the right buttons tonight, I feel like. And uh, my big takeaway, other than kind of what you said with adjustments and everything, down the stretch, the game was close. It was tied. Um, they were kind of going back and forth with a lead in the fourth quarter. Luka comes back in the game. And um, essentially, I, I want to say he played almost the, the entire fourth quarter. He might have sat for the first couple minutes or something. But he played a lot in the fourth quarter. And... Um, all of the problems that have sort of ailed him specifically and also the team in general over the last couple of weeks were presented to him, and he had an answer for every single one. So yep. they were – He played ten and a half minutes in the fourth quarter. Did he? Okay. Did. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot. But yeah. he was on the Dirk rotation today, unlike right. to what he's been doing, which is kind of the Dame Lillard thing of playing 12, sitting for six, playing six. Yeah. He played like six, pulled, come in, play like two – to end the quarter and then a little bit in the in the even quarters or most of the even quarters so it's kind of like the opposite of what he was doing yes. before um Dirk did that for years it's because Dirk pulverized second units yeah. he was doing that when they won the title it was it started because if you go back to 2011 and at this point it's actually 2010 mm. JJ started horrifically mm. go back and look at his shooting in November and December of that year and then they adjusted the the rotation and Dirk would come in when J.J. would come in, and J.J.'s numbers went through the roof. Mm. And the, the whole team did. The whole team. Yeah. I mean, you play, ask Monte. Play mm. with Dirk. Hey, you suddenly you're efficient. Yeah. Go figure. It's crazy how that works Isn't out. it weird, huh? Yeah. And that's why – and uh, I'm doing something – I think I'm doing something tomorrow uh, with J. Lim, a video of how Porzingis not even touching the ball opens up things for other people. So now, there, why would a, you be doing few, that? I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we'll get to that. to later in the thing? Yeah, we'll get you're to that You're doing this with Jalen or Jalen? 
Jay Lim. Okay. Uh, yeah, he's recording me. Because uh, Jay Lim's just out here tripping Luca and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't yeah. know, he works in the Mavs. Is he social media slash uh, video department? He's video. Yeah, he makes sounds from the baseline. He does yes. a lot of stuff. But if you've seen sounds from the baseline on YouTube, that's all Jay Lim. He's a one man crew. Yeah, and he's the one who was just happened to be in the wrong place when Marquise Chris decided to push Luca. <laughs> got flattened like a pancake. <laughs> he got flat. In our Slack chat during the game, we were like, "No, Jay Lim died." <laughs> <laughs> And uh, he was silent for a while, so we were actually kind of worried. They killed Kenny. Yeah, but Luca comes back in, and you know all these problems that have been kind of like dogging them, and they showed up in OKC. You put a smaller, quicker guy right in his face and play him aggressive. You can kind of take him out of the game. Well, tonight they did that with Luawa Cabarro, and Luca burned Luka him a few him. times. Got him, got him for layup, hit him with a step yeah. back. He beat him <clears> in every way, and so yeah. finally the Nets were like, "All right, we got to do something else." So Dorian comes up and sets a couple picks for Luca while they blitz the screen. And so Luca hands it off to Dorian. Uh, one time he beat a double team around the edge, I think drew a foul. And then finally they started, instead of Dorian setting the screen, it was Powell. Powell comes up and screens, and like we said earlier in the game, they were dropping the big man way back on the pick and roll, basically planting right. your butt like on the edge of the restricted area, 30 feet from the action, and saying, you will not – doing the Gandalf thing, you shall not pass. <laughs> but uh, that one time, Allen – Showed hard. They were icing the pick and roll because it was Powell setting it. They don't worry about Powell's three-point shot. So you have Luca's man taking away kind of the sideline or the baseline. Sort of like Jared Allen steps out, right, to uh -huh. hedge uh -huh. uh, toward the middle of the floor to prevent him from getting to the middle of the floor, right? Or it's the little man and Jared Allen drops back. But either way, you have one guy taking away the middle of the floor and the other guy standing in front of Lucas so that the only thing he can do is either drive to the sideline or give it to the big man in the middle of the floor. In this case, he hit Powell on the short roll with the pass, mm -hmm. caught around the top of the key, and he immediately swung it to Finney Smith in the corner for three. So that is Luca making a play one-on-one. -on -one. It's Luca making a play against uh, pressure coverage. And then the next time down the floor, they try and do the same thing again. You have Joe Harris pivoting his body to take away the middle of the floor as the screen is coming to Luca's left-hand side this time. But instead of taking the screen and accepting the double team like he did before, he crossed over kind of quickly, unexpectedly. Harris wasn't in position. Luca beat him for a layup, and the game was over at that point. They were up Good like night, 11 or 13. Friends. Yeah. And so he did it. And now it helps that he made every single shot whenever he did all this stuff. Right. And that Finney Smith made the three, that's big too. But him showing that he can beat every kind of defense that you can throw at him for a game is it's good for his confidence. It's good for film because coaches are going to look at that and say, maybe they're learning how to beat this stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe we should back off a little bit. Because I mean, man, when Schroeder was in Lucas' face on New Year's Eve, it was they couldn't do anything in yeah. the fourth quarter. I mean, they gave that game away because they just couldn't get good looks. But tonight they had an answer for everything. And I thought that was really, really big because it was not looking good in the first quarter, but you had essentially the same personnel on the floor to finish the game, and they had answers this time. Yeah, and it's interesting after some of those struggles in which J.J. didn't play, maybe going to J.J. J.J. started tonight. Yep. Um, you know, maybe that could have had an impact in the Oklahoma City game. Who knows? Mm. But uh, this is, uh, you know, I think – Luca's going through some of the same stuff James Harden's going through right now as people are trapping him in really weird places and just rushing him. And, you know, you got to figure all that out. And your teammates have to figure all that out, too. Mm -hmm. Better now than later in the year, right? Yeah. Uh, but he does <clears> – <throat> we, we talked about this on the air in the Golden State game. When Luca, when you start sending that double at different times and Luca figures out where it's coming from, 
He starts steering you to places to get the double team guy to where he's covering nobody, and then suddenly it's four on three, mm-hmm. and it results in wide open shots. Yeah, I mean just wide open half court rushes. Yeah, and that's seeing ahead where the move's going to come from, and then going to a spot to drag a guy away, and then suddenly you're creating all this space on the floor where it's like. You just trust your teammates to go win four on three. That's what fast break basketball is all about. Yeah, I mean, that's what happened on the, what was basically the last meaningful play against OKC is they sent two at Luka coming off that Kleba screen. And so Luka hit, I think it was behind the back or whatever. He just, like, flung it over to Maxi, who was wide open. Uh-huh. So, I mean, it was the right play, but Maxi missed the he shot. Missed the shot. But tonight, you know, the worry is that if Powell is out there, Powell isn't quite the three-point shooter that Maxi is, but he was still able to make that catch and make the right pass to the corner, kind of doing the Draymond thing. Mm-hmm. And that's where it's incumbent on other players on the team in times when Luka is facing all that pressure, you know, ball pressure, other guys have to step up and make a play. You know, along those lines, I was kind of having this thought earlier today or maybe yesterday. This sounds ridiculous, but you could tell me that the biggest story of the year is the three-point shooting percentage of Maxi and Dorian, and I'd go with it. Yeah, dude. You said I think you said they're two of the best values in the NBA right now. They are. Uh, Maxi might be hitting over thirty nine percent from three now. It's pretty close. After these last couple games, he's probably he's probably there. <laughs> and I said going into the year, and I don't remember if I said on the podcast or the radio show, if Dorian Finney Smith hits thirty five percent of his threes, it's on. And what's he at now? Thirty seven or? Uh, let me pull it up. Point something. Around You're talking there. circles around me right now. I can't keep no, up. That's not fair. I can't uh, keep up. I'm sorry, but it's those are huge, huge developments. Yeah. Because you can argue also, no, no, uh, all due respect to Kristaps, you can argue that Dorian and Max here are your two best defenders. Yeah, I mean KP is like the the opposite of the point of attack. Yeah. He's the rim guy. He's the he's And the he does a really sweeper. good job of that. Yeah. But Maxi and Dorian do a lot of other stuff. So Maxi's 39.8. Dorian Finney-Smith, you ready for this? Yeah. 38.9. Dude, that is so massive. That's inc- And Seth is back over 40%. He's at 41% on threes now after tonight. When you have one guy that nobody can stop, then you surround him with shooters. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening. Yeah, and and for a while, you know, the Mavs entered the top ten in three point shooting. I want to say like maybe a couple weeks before Christmas, mm-hmm. but at the time, it was a lot of guys shooting like thirty five percent. Right, and so everyone is kind of league average. <coughs> but collectively, if you can shoot league average as a team, right, then you're going to be really good. Yeah. Um. In fact, Luke is now down to thirty two point five. Or I guess he's up to thirty two point five. But he's really your only guy that's actually shooting multiple threes per game. That's struggling uh, Jalen and Justin both in at 33 percent which is where's not great. KP at these KP's 34.3 okay but uh he had a really really bad like seven game stretch there in mid-December outside of that he's tweet, been above 37. I saw you tweet those stretches of his three-point shooting yeah but when you when, he's had three different stretches this season of shooting 36 percent or better but when you have one stretch that's just as big as the other stretch where you shoot 20 it's gonna, yeah, it's gonna bog you down it. yeah so he's been better than his numbers suggest but still he's 34 but now you got JJ at 48, Curry at 41, Kleba at 40, Finney Smith at 39, Hardaway at 38, DeLon Wright, huge, 37.5%. He didn't take any bad ones, dude. Yeah. I mean, these guys are – that is above average. Like 37% is pretty much average. 36.5% is about the league average. Uh-huh. So if you're above that, you're good. 38% is very good. 30, 40% <laughs> is great. I mean – Elite. They have a lot of good shooters. Yeah. And they're all good looks, too. So that's kind of the thing. Can you make a wide open three? Seems right. easy. But if that's the only time you're going to touch the ball for three minutes, it's tougher than it sounds. Right. But and, they were and able to though, do it And when you start making them, your confidence grows. I mean, yep. it's just it's this reciprocating kind of thing. Mm. Uh, 
I do want to where this conversation is going is almost leading us to what we kind of talked about. We were going to talk about, and that's post ups and the numbers and math and all this sort of stuff. But before we do that, I do want to tell this story because you may or may not have seen it. Um, did you see what Luca did after the game with the game? Ball? I did. Well, and did you see what he did in the last minute too? Uh, run the play for Josh. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead and take it so I can cough. Yeah. So there's like a minute and a half left in the game. The game is in hand, and Rick Carlisle puts in Josh Reeves. If you're not familiar with who he is, I doubt you aren't. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably know who Josh Reeves is. But uh, Reeves is a rookie. He was undrafted this summer, four-year college player at Penn State, two-time Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. He's one of the Mavs' two-way players. And it was thought at the time uh, among really smart draft people that that was kind of a steal to get him undrafted. But he's been in the G League this season. Uh, For the most part, he's been pretty good. He got off to a little bit of a slow start and has been slumping the last few games. But for the the bulk of the season, he's been really good from three. He's a good active defender anyway. Super uh, defender. In college, he was a super defender. Yeah, yeah. So he gets called up to the Mavs today because no Porzingis, no Hardaway, no Brokoff. (laughs) You just need depth. Brooklyn's small. So they bring him up. I didn't think he was going to play. I also didn't think this game would be lopsided at the end. Right. Uh, but he gets in the game with about a minute left. Luca brings the ball up the floor and kind of like Reeves is in the corner. And Luca kind of looks at him and like sort of like shakes his kind of like, uh, what do you even call this? It's like, come o- come get the ball. Yeah, yeah. With his head, he's kind of yeah. like, come here, come here. And so Reeves comes up. Luca hands it off to him, goes in the corner and lets Reeves uh, take a shot. He missed it. Next time down, Luca did the same thing. Let him run a pick and roll with Powell. He actually... Gave a pretty nice pocket pass. This is a little bit, I think, late. But uh, letting him make plays, man. Give him a Trying to ball. get him indoctrinated. Yeah, yeah. Get, let, get him a point. Lucas scored 30 points. He could have closed the game if he wanted. He said, no, you're good. I, I want I want the rookie. I, yeah. w- I want him to get his feet wet a little bit. Yeah. And, it and uh, you know, we, t- we I know there's probably some people going, well, what's the big deal? Well, here's why it's a big deal. Um, after the game, we actually replayed it on the postgame show. I was down there to do the Maxi interview, so I sort of saw all this unfold. <coughs> and Luca started walking off, and then suddenly, like, he got struck by a bolt of like, oh, yeah. And then he turned around and he ran to the ref to get the ball and was explaining to the ref, I need to give this ball to Josh. It's his first NBA game. And so, for the leading vote getter in the world for the All Star game to go out of his way to make sure that this is a special night for the two-way guy says a lot. Mm. <laughs> it says a lot about who Luca is, about what the Mavericks are trying to build. And I was reminded of how Dam- uh, there's a Damian Lillard story I read where the, I don't know the exact details, but they had waived a guy who was a G League guy. And the social media team made some sort of joke about it on social media about, I mean, I don't remember the exact wording. It wasn't like mean-spirited, but it was kind of like, hey, this guy doesn't matter kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And Damian Lillard saw that and immediately reached out to the GM and was like, hey, we can't be joking like that. All these guys matter. Mm-hmm. Like our team, every single person matters, so we can't minimize the quote-unquote 15th guy on the roster. That's not what we're trying to build here culture-wise. And so as I'm watching this unfold, I'm thinking about, Damian Lillard investing as a leader in each and every single person because you the odds are against Josh Reeves to have a long NBA career if you just look at like how he how he was not drafted and all these sorts of things but dude look at Dorian and mm. what he's meant or look at where Maxi came from and look what at JJ Barea absolutely. arguably Luca's closest friend absolutely 
So all these things matter, and to have the best player invest in all these guys is pretty special. It was pretty cool to see up close the last few years. There was a, a lot of losing basketball skin around right. here these last three seasons. And whenever you're one of those teams, the second half of the year, you're giving out 10 days like it's candy on Halloween. Yeah. You're bringing a lot of guys in because you got minutes to spare. And throughout that entire period, I mean, it was kind of like eye-rolling among the fans because you want to see Dirk or whatever, but... It was pretty cool up close for the first time as my in my time around the Mavs to see that many players come in and score their first point, right. make their debut. It's like their dream is coming true. And right. after, after the game, every time that a Maverick scores his first points in the NBA, they give him a ball and they kind of like put they, – they inscribe on it what is going on. Yeah. Date, score, what is the occasion, and they give it to the player. And that's like the coolest thing ever because as a fan, who cares? Is Josh Reeves going to be in the NBA in two years? I don't know. I hope so. I believe in him. Be. But this is this is the realization of a lifelong dream. Yeah. And it, I'm sure it means a lot to him that a guy like Luca is even acknowledging him, let alone giving him the play, the last play of the game, going tracking down the game ball to give it to him. I mean, that's got to like that's really got to mean the world to the guy. For him to even be thinking about that, yeah, like that's where his mind is. Hey, we got to make sure this is special. Fans for are training MVP for Luca like thirty seconds before that. Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that's well, that's extra. Uh, and did you see what uh, Steve Kerr said about all this? I know this because I was in San Francisco and follow up asked the question. Whereas their season has not been what they wanted. It's been a season of development. Both of their uh, two-way guys have both over like 35 or 36 days of NBA service time before the new year, mm. which if you don't know, you can only have 45. And so Followell asked Kerr about this, and Kerr's like, man, if you can make it in the league, like make it for a couple seasons, it's life-changing. It's a life-changing experience. So to have a hand in changing someone's life is really – special powerful thing and i was just kind of thinking of all these things as i was watching luca do that so pretty cool mm. yeah who would have expected to see such a deep moment in just a random january game one shot and mo oh sorry <laughs> i can't sing right now but uh hey sick. there's always some cool stuff going on whenever luca's involved and of course he gave away some shoes he met a kid before the game too luca's starting to he's he's slowly but surely starting to become the guy he's the know? guy yeah, he's Pretty he's, awesome. he's almost the man. Right now, he's almost the guy, but soon he'll be the man. Hey, pause it. I'm going to blow my nose. All right. And we're back. We're back. So, man, the last time we talked, the world was a different place, Skin. The Mavericks were winning a ton of games. Everybody was fascinated by what Luka was doing. And Chris Tapps Porzingis was rounding back into form. God, Dallas I love was, the way he was playing. Might have even been the number two seed in the West at the time. I don't remember. It's been a while since we talked. Yeah. Since then, though, the Mavs have lost some games. In one of the games that they lost... Well, actually, let me backtrack. Yeah. In one of the games that they won, Porzingis played well. You talking but, about the game uh, at Milwaukee? No, in uh, in San against San Antonio. Oh, okay. In, right, right here on national television. Oh, yeah, that was the origin of all that. Wasn't yeah. It? Uh, by all, if if I remember right, Porzingis had a good game that night. Now he might not have, but he had a way, bad first half because well, shooting wise, he was two for nine. Ah, okay, okay. And then at halftime, the TNT guys have decided they're going to put a package together that showed that Porzingis needs to post up or quote unquote be more aggressive. And as Shaq is saying he needs to be more aggressive, they're showing a clip of Porzingis flooring it and getting to the rim and missing a shot. Yeah. So yeah. he missed a shot 
It's the difference. If if Porzingis had made that shot and one other shot, he would have been four for nine in that package. Doesn't exist, and this conversation never begins. I would say that taking nine shots in a half and driving to the, toward the rim for most of them is aggressive. And I would consider it aggressive. I would say that passive would be not shooting or maybe driving and – picking up your dribble and passing out, right. avoiding the shot, fading in the corner, Being doing, hesitant doing with what the I do most of the time I play pickup basketball <laughs> against people who are good. Disappear. Right. right? I'm invisible. Right. Um, anyway, long story short, you play 500 basketball for like two weeks and suddenly you go from feel-good story to uh, subject of criticism from former NBA legends. Yeah. And it was just very weird how it all happened. And obviously, I'm sure everybody knows – you got Shaq, Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith, who's a multi-time champion. You had Chris Webber, who's a great player. Uh, Eddie Johnson, one of the best six men ever. In fact, I think he has the NBA record for points off the bench. Does he really? Yeah. Uh, it's not uh, Lou Williams? Uh, maybe n- not yet. Lou Will might catch him, but he started for a while. Okay. But Eddie, I think, scored something like <laughs> 19,000 points off the bench. So that's quite a few points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He lit it up. Points. Yeah. Um, Anyway, everybody's voicing their opinion. And the NBA has been going this way for a very long time. Obviously, I'm sure if you're listening, your parents might have hot takes about this. You probably have hot takes about this yourself. Um, analytics becoming a bigger thing. Teams are changing the way they play in the new uh, kind of pace and space NBA, enabled by lifting of the hand check and also uh, enabling zone, right? There's yeah. more space. Guys are driving the lane. There's bigger driving lanes. You want to space the floor with four or five people, ideally, which means your centers are going to be pulled away from the basket so that your smaller guys can beat their man one-on-one off the dribble and get to the rim, like what Luka's doing this year, better than arguably anybody in the league. He's shooting better than 60% on drives. Why? Well, because the Mavs have the best rim roller. They have Maxi, who's turned into a hell of a shooter. Yep. And... Mainly, Kristaps Porzingis, a seven foot three shooter who can pull up from thirty five feet and make it like it's nothing. He has limitless range, he commands respect. He was an all star at twenty two years old. He's a very good player, but he's not posting up skin. Yeah, and this is the crux of the entire argument: is you have former players, veterans, you have people who grew up watching the NBA in the eighties, which was a great era for the sport, in a time when. In that day and age, teams weren't shooting as many threes, and a lot of your best players, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Kevin McHale, even Larry Bird, operated predominantly out of the post. Mm -hmm. The objective of the game back then, similar to the way it is now, was to get the ball as close to the basket as possible. But if you couldn't get a layup or a dunk in that day and age, you wanted to still get a 10-footer. A 10-footer is better than a 20-footer. Dude, one of the all-time greatest Mavericks is Rolando Blackman, and he lived shooting 15-foot curls. Yeah, little curls off screens from big guys. And if the curl wasn't there, teams ran a lot of floppy in the 80s where you have wings coming off curls on either side of the floor. If it's not there, you make the catch, you dump it down to the post. right? You dumped it down to the big man because at the time, illegal defense was was such that – Nowadays, illegal defense is if you're in the lane for three seconds and you're not guarding anybody, that's illegal defense. Yeah. Back in the day, up until kind of 2001, yeah, 2002, Yeah, it was Nelly was involved in getting it changed. Yeah, it was, it was before the hand check rule was changed, but this is right around the turn of the millennium, turn of the century. Turn of the millennium sounds cooler. <laughs> yeah. They made it to where uh, you could now defend a space. You didn't have to defend a man. Back in the day in 1985, whenever you had Larry Bird winning every MVP and every team was posting up, you could not sag off of your man. You had to be either guarding the guy with the ball or the yeah. guy without the ball. You right. couldn't be playing space, right? The way that teams defend Giannis now and even James Harden is they essentially build a wall 
with players, it's sort of um, amoebic. It, ch- it changes shapes depending on where the ball is, but you always have one or two guys right on the edge of the lane that are that are sagging way off of their man, especially if they're a poor shooter. Right. But you couldn't do that back in the day, and so posting up was easier because it was always either one-on-one or one-on-two. Right. And if you were facing a hard double team and you were worth your salt, you could pass out to a guy who's wide open and you'd get an 18-footer out of it right. or a layup or a dunk or a three even. Right. But the rules changed. And so once the rules changed, you could play zone, you could sag off guys. Posting up was not as valuable because instead of it being one-on-one or one-on-two, it's like one-on-two-and-a-half constantly. And you have hands in passing lanes instead of hands in your face. Mm -hmm. And hands in your face makes it tough to see, but you know where your teammates are. But whenever you're on one side of the floor in the corner along the baseline and you have every player on the opposing team essentially guarding two men at once – suddenly those four defenders become a lot harder to beat with the pass. Right. And they're all within arm's reach of you, essentially, if you put the ball on the floor. You can have a double team come from any direction at any point because <laughs> nobody has to be glued to their guy. Right. And so this is all very like high-level, boring rule stuff. But this is why teams don't post up anymore. That, from, a, from an X's and O's standpoint, it is very difficult to engineer a clean look at the basket because so many teams are good at defending with their players on a string. When the guy, the guys that were making the critical points about Porzingis, those guys didn't play with the rules change. Shaq did a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the tail end of um, the tail end of Shaq's dominance with the Lakers was right around the time of the rule changes, and Shaq was one of the guys who was most vocal about the rule changes. Mm-hmm. Said it was going to kill the game. Mm-hmm. Remember. Yeah, <laughs> and Charles kill. Barkley it's too. Going to kill his game, but yeah. not going to kill the game. And when Charles Barkley was dominating as a six foot four power forward, he right. could back down his man for an entire possession. Well, yeah. around the time that the illegal defense rule changed, in fact, it might have even been that same exact season. The league instituted a five second rule where you can no longer back down players for five seconds with a live once, dribble. Yeah, once you put the ball on the floor, you have five seconds or less. If you if you get to five, excuse me, then it's a turnover. Turnover, yeah. And so when you combine the limited time that you have to make a move to establish yourself in the post, and then also you have multiple players that can help you from or that can help your man essentially from any direction, posting up becomes a much more difficult concept. What what, what happens is is the game becomes more about skill than imposing your physical will on somebody. Yeah, because skill is passing and shooting the ball and dribbling the ball. And if your bigs can do those things, then it becomes more difficult to defend your team. Mm. And the way to exploit that is to, well, uh, we can stop just a bog down by a zone, you know. So if you're going to zone, how do you beat a zone? With shooting and passing. Mm. So skills became important. And big guys with skills became important. Mm. And the way that probably everybody grew up playing basketball became important again. Mm. Like we all grew up running motion offenses and all these sorts of things. So the game becomes more kind of democratic whenever you essentially legislate out the post up because now every player is involved constantly. You're moving the ball from side to side, front to back, top to bottom, into out to find an open look. And if you catch the ball and you're not open, you better make a decision quickly. Yeah. It's no longer dump it down to one guy and let him dribble for 10 seconds and then decide what to do. Yeah. So the game is more aesthetically pleasing that way. However, if you're Eddie Johnson or Shaq or Charles Barkley and you grew up playing the game this way and you were very successful at it, winning championships or being on very good teams, scoring 20,000 points, or in Shaq's case, 34,000 points or whatever it is. Was it that many? 29,000? Yeah, he had fewer than dirt. 
Did he get? Yeah, that's fair. that's right, Shaq. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure if he gets to 30, but he was close. But either way, he won a million championships, and he's first ballot Hall of Famer. One of maybe the, the most dominant basketball player I've ever seen. Yeah. So if you're one of those guys, it would make sense for you to feel like you know what? I'm already kind of upset that the kids these days are looking down on the way I played. Nobody plays that way anymore. I was able to do it. I don't know why they don't do it. And then you see someone like Porzingis who's struggling in the post against Marcus Smart. I can understand why you would say, you know what? That guy needs to be better in the post. Mm-hmm. Does he? Yeah, sure. I would love for Porzingis to be better in the post. But the argument is not about how good he is. The argument is about why teams do or don't post up players. And I think that's kind of becoming lost in the whole thing is like literally why is this happening? Well, teams don't post up because not only are the, do the rules make it tougher, not only is it tougher schematically to devise a post-up play that allows your man to get deep position before catching the ball. It's very tough to do that now Yeah, based on the way the rules are. It's usually on transition seals. Yeah, and if you don't have deep position right away, then you're screwed. Unless you're Nikola Jokic or someone who's like Joel Embiid, one of the all-NBA players, and there's only four or five of them. Or Dirk. Well, Dirk is like maybe the most skilled non-guard ever. So it's really not fair to like judge him the same way that you judge Porzingis. And but one of the reasons, too, that Dirk operated in the post is because they started covering him with smaller players. Yeah. And so and he, he struggled with that. He struggled with for it. For two years. For, and then he got over it. And one of the ways you do that is post him up. He's got a smaller player. He's just come back him down and shoot right over the top of him. But he developed the skill. Mm. And so the guys on the TNT broadcast or the critical guys are like, well, you need to develop that. And my response would be, why? Yeah. Why, why do you want to stop doing... <clears throat> why do you want to stop running the most efficient, productive offense in the history of the NBA to try to get one particular guy going in a region that he's not going in? Why would you abort great success to go explore something that is not successful? Proven to not be successful. Don't understand the logic. Yeah. And it, it's to, to sate the ego of people from the 80s? Is that what this is about? Yeah. I, I mean, don't that, understand that is, the logic. That's what it's becoming. And now, I, I people don't like... Well, we'll talk about this in a second. But there are a lot of people that don't really care about uh, numbers, right? They're, they're not interested in the analytics because they, they believe that... People spend too much time looking at spreadsheets and not enough time watching the game. People trust their eye test, whatever. That's fine. But what what this is about is just the truth. The reason teams don't post players up as much, in fact, hardly any do anymore at all, uh-huh. is because it is proven to not be as successful. It's just not as, it's not as efficient as shooting a three. There's one player in the NBA, Joel Embiid, who scores more efficiently in the post than the average NBA player shoots from three. Uh-huh. So when you have one guy out of 450 plus 62-way players plus guys who have been cut and signed and cut again, that's scoring better than I could on three, right? Just your average NBA dude. Uh-huh. Why would you go to it? Like, there's no reason to go for it. There's no reason at all to ever post anybody up unless he's really, really good at it. I Which mean, Luca is. I'll post Luca up in certain situations. Yeah, he's scoring very well, but they've only done it before this game, they'd only done it 21 times all season. Yeah. All season. Because yeah. when he has the ball up top and they're setting screens for him, they're scoring at a ridiculous rate. Mm-hmm. So what? There, there's Look, I'm not saying don't ever post up again. 
but I'm saying the logic of abandoning what is incredibly successful to try to establish somebody who's not a problem in your offense makes no sense to me. And he's not complaining about it. And he's not complaining about it. And 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 ultimately, <clears throat> what all this is about is this is about ego and fear. This is about ego because it's very much like, uh, you know, I love Han Solo, but my God, what an extreme narcissist. Mm-hmm. Never tell me the odds because I'm the one creature in the universe that, boy, odds don't apply to me. I'm effing magic, right? And that's what this is. Don't tell me your numbers, okay? I'm better than your numbers. Mm-hmm. I'm I am, Shaquille O'Neal. I am a deity. Bow down to my greatness. Well, actually, but, you know, you're, if you just look, it's not even – it's just a result of the actions. It's not It's not created over here in a beaker and a Bunsen burner, and it's like this magic experiment. These are the results of what has happened on the court. That's what the numbers are. The numbers aren't something that you've gone and made up somewhere. The numbers are a result of the actions. They're an account of history. So why are you arguing with the results? Who, who, who does that benefit? Well, the NBA is a business. It's a competition. And whenever you're competing, you're going to look for a competitive edge. Mm-hmm. And the competitive edge, the market inefficiency, if you will right now, is bigger wings that can drive to the rim. And bigger players, guys like Porzingis, that can shoot threes. Right. You're inverting the defense. Yes. So when Luka, who's six foot eight, turns the corner, and the tallest player between him and the rim is six foot two, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, that is a win. Right. Dinwiddie's taller than 6'2". That's a bad example. But the point is, if your biggest defender is 30 feet from the rim and your smallest defender is 5 feet from the rim and my guy's 6'8", I've beaten you, and it's going to be a dunk yeah. or a foul. Right. Or my role man is going to get a dunk. And this is, again, this is competition. Numbers don't lie. You're looking to win games. And the worst role man points per possession team in the league, number 30, in role man points per possession is better than the ninth best post-up team, which means all 30 teams in the NBA are scoring better giving it to the role man than your worst 22 or 23 at posting up. And the teams that are better are not much better, okay? Uh And the turnover percentage from the post is significantly higher <laughs> yes. than every other play type. I would imagine Porzingis's turnover percentage in the post is bad. It's extremely high. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not good. Porzingis's is not good, but Utah's isn't good. <laughs> Phillies isn't good. There are a lot of teams that turn it over more than one out of every six times they try and post up, which is horrible. Yeah. The league is turning it over less now than ever before. The, your top teams are turning it over one out of every eight possessions. And your the post? average post? No, no, no. Per, per game. Okay. One out of every eight possessions. Yep. Your average post-up team is turning it over one out of every six. That's there crazy. are multiple teams that are turning it over more than 20% of the time. Wow. So not only are you not scoring, not only is your field goal percentage bad, field goal percentage is conveniently an analytic that old heads will, you know, they're okay with that one. But right. points per possession, no way. Don't talk right. about that. That's right. nerdy. Uh, your field goal percentage is low. Your turnover percentage is high. It, it bogs down your offense, clogs up driving lanes. So why would you do it? Again, like you said, it's about pride. Yeah. It's about the conflation of what is correct, uh-huh. what is real, and what we think should be true based on our perception of how tall a player is. I thought Rick put it best. KP is getting like bullied because he's seven foot three. He's getting picked on because he's tall. Right. If he was six foot eight doing what he's doing, 
No one would care. No one would care. But because I, he's seven three, he's a coward. It's right. not only that he's not a good post up player, it's yeah. that he's a coward. He's afraid. It, again, we're we're just getting into just like machismo and ego. And and I and I guess the thing that I would say is we're watching all this is like who who is the last NBA team that won posting up a lot? That's the sound of crickets. I mean, I don't what, I what is it there? You could you could go back to the 2010 Lakers who won by posting up a lot. Uh-huh, with uh, that was at a time whenever the league was very Andrew very Bynum. very very imbalanced. There were not a lot of very good teams at all. Right. And uh, the Lakers did post up quite a bit. Now I will say uh, Pau Gasol scored more efficiently in every other way than in the post, but he certainly posted up a lot. And they had big Bynum. Yeah, they had Bynum and Gasol and Kobe and they played in the triangle and they won Game seven of the finals, like eighty-one to seventy-eight. Yeah, I, I just I don't understand. Like, <clears throat> I get it if the Mavericks weren't one of the best offensive teams in basketball. Like going, okay, let's evaluate what we're doing here. Why are you trying to? We I get it if the Mavs were the Phoenix Suns. How about that? Okay. Or here's another uh, team: the Minnesota Timberwolves broadcast criticized Rick the other night too. Well, Minnesota has lost like thirteen out of fourteen games, so I feel like. What they're doing is not working. Look, seems to me like what the Mavs are doing is working. Yeah. And but. the other thing, too, is with all due respect to Porzingis, so we want to bog down stuff for Luca so we can see if Porzingis can become a better post player. So that we can see. What, There's no evidence to suggest that he will. What, what is the logic here other than it's just old man shit? That, that's can all I it cuss? is. Uh, I mean, I'll probably, I might believe Edit it out. It I out. might not. It's just we'll old see how man. I'm feeling. And, you know, it's humiliating for me as an old man to have other old men saying this crap. <laughs> it's just so – it's just, it's ego-oriented. Yeah. And and the other aspect of all this is, you know, you start getting into, like, people are arguing things that don't even make sense anymore. It's just finger-pointing and yelling on Twitter and all that stuff. And it's like, like Eddie Johnson, you know, said some things about uh, Rick and about you and the stuff, and – I'm just sitting there going, well, why don't you go yell at Monty, your coach? Mm. Because have you seen the stats about how much you guys are posting up? It's pretty low, buddy. Yeah, it's and I mean, low. that kind of leads to the other, like what I really think is kind of a deeper issue, which I'm not even sure is like appropriate to talk about because this is about basketball. But it's kind of like an example of our persecution of knowledge mm-hmm. and of like education and of academia. Right. Um, I... I went on something about Twitter. I said, this is why teams don't post up. I talked about the uh, your Joel Embiid being the only big man that scores better than the average three-point shooter right. in the post. So one guy? Yeah, there's one guy who does it. There's a lot of players in the NBA. And that's what Eddie Johnson kind of latched onto because clearly he was just searching stuff on Twitter because he was mad about this thing. Right. And he called me a robot. And I don't care. I don't care. It's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. And he called me a robot a lot of times. Which robot. kind of weird. Like, he... It's kind of it was kind of weird, but I don't think he has a lot, dude. Yeah, well, probably I think not, he, I think he's got a limited arsenal when yeah, it comes to this I mean, sort of stuff. It is what it is, but like Eddie Johnson is not the first person. I'm sure he's not the first player to think that I'm a dork. He definitely won't be the last. There's a lot of people uh, on the internet that kind of turn this into like true ballers, no true hoopers, no real players, no no. And what? then there's your stats guys, your your nerds, your right. dorks, and I'm like, okay. First off, that's gaslighting. I know is what a lot that about is. basketball. I mean, I, I've done this for a long time. Yeah. I, I kind of know what I'm talking about. But uh, also, you're like, there's it's this weird divisive thing that has existed since the beginning of time that people experience when they're in school. Where if you see someone that talks about math, that cares about 
grades that like does work that uh -huh. enjoys school you become a nerd you're cast off into this sort of like tier of like losers <laughs> it's portrayed in cartoons from a time that, that you watch from the time you're three or four years old you have the cool kids who always play sports and then you have the nerds who wear glasses and have buck teeth and are ugly and dress badly and get made fun of and don't have any friends but they get a's in school mm -hmm. and it's it's never the athletes getting good grades so like you're told from the time you're very young that if you're smart you're going to be a loser and if you're not you can be good at sports and it's just this like self-fulfilling prophecy that I feel like makes people ashamed of being intelligent, right? Ashamed of trying. Like when I got to 6th grade for the first time in my life I felt picked on because I was good at in school. Mm -hmm. And that experience made me hate math. I hated math all through middle school. I was the kid in high school that was like, "Man, this is dumb." Whatever I do for my job, I know I'm never going to use math. So I just tanked in pre-cal. I was failing pre-cal two weeks before I was supposed to graduate the 11th grade. And if I would have failed, I would have had to take the class again. And I was like, you know what? This is going to like genuinely sidetrack my life right now. If I fail this class, I'm going to have to take it again. So I might as well suck it up and get good at it. And it's a good thing I did. My teacher, Miss Childs, let me come in and correct all my uh, old stuff and let me redo some tests. Next thing you know, all that extra work I put in helped me get a good grade on the SAT, which got me a great scholarship to go to UTD. I graduated college, have this job, and guess what? I'm doing math every day. <laughs> so I was wrong, but I'm not the only kid that feels that way. And I felt that way as a nerd. I didn't even feel that way as someone who had a hard time in school. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's reinforced over and over again socially and by cartoons and TV shows and movies and all sorts of pop culture that if you talk about math numbers if you talk about history if you talk about books you're like an outcast you're a right. nerd you're a dork you're less than i've done it you haven't i know more than you i talk about basketball with jargon hezzy pull-up jimbo nerds don't know what that means uh your your little shake moves like you, you you have you develop this language that other people can't speak and that makes you think that you're better than them when in reality like it doesn't, it doesn't change anything. Like a hezzy pull-up Jimbo is a dribble jump shot. That's a bad shot nowadays for <laughs> most people, except for Kevin Durant, who's the one that kind of made that phrase famous. Right. He's one of the ten best players of all time. He could do whatever he wants. Yeah. Uh, there's just this weird thing. It's like you're, you're saying that people are dorks because they, are, they're, they use numbers. Like that's the truth. It's, not, it's one know, thing to be like you don't know what you're talking about. There are right. plenty of people that don't know what they're talking about that have never used math in their lives. But I feel like from a time we're very young, we frame this thing as it is something that is uncool. It is, it is not good. It's not a good choice for you to be good at school because you will not have any friends. It's not good to be in band. Right. You'll be a nerd. Like, and this isn't revenge of the nerds. But I don't have a bone to pick with anybody. But it's just very bizarre to me that even – I always thought that as an adult – this would be something that everyone would kind of collectively agree to get over, right? This like persecution of people that are smarter than you. It's it's very very weird, and I'm very disappointed that it hasn't gone away in an area of life and sports which I love so much that that knowledge is not power. Knowledge is perceived to be a weakness. I think. I mean, I, I agree with everything you're saying. I think a lot of people, and I'm sitting here thinking about what my response is to this, and I don't want to paint everybody with the same broad brush, but I do think there's a lot of for lack of a better term, jocks, it never quite escaped their high school mentality. And conversely, there's a lot of quote-unquote nerds that never escaped whatever that high school mentality is. And uh, and it's it's a it's a lack of growth, really, is what it is to, you know, 
I want to view the world through this prism of when things were best for me. And, you know, I was uh, top of the food chain and all these sorts of mentalities that, you know, is high school life and all those things. Well, there's a lot of Star Wars fans who are mouth breathers and neckbeards who hate women or whatever. I mean, that, that have a lot of very, very bad, vile traits that probably arose from being picked on in high school. And yeah. then you just, you never grow out of that vengeful sort of like hateful cycle uh, of, of something that you were maybe not even the victim of 20 years ago. But I think, you know, the other thing too is is also just our behaviors in general. Because if you're a pro, and I've, I've been guilty of this many times, like in, in the middle of all this, I just like, man, God, I'm involved in so much negative sh- stuff right now. This is really, this sucks. But... I mean, think about the way that uh, Eddie Johnson approached this. He didn't approach it like he really wants to have a reasonable, intelligent conversation. It's, I want to attack somebody that's different from me. And that is the mentality of our government. That's the mentality of our politics. That's a lot of times the mentality of religions. It's like, hey, uh, you're different from me. I'm going to get you, and I'm going to show you, and I'm going to embarrass you, because that's really what my God wants. Um and it's 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 a mentality that you know is really high school mentality that a lot of people just never escape. And I find myself getting sucked into it. And when I get sucked into it, I'm embarrassed by it. I'm like, God, I can't believe I just went out there and acted like a 15 year old again. Um, but you know, you get those juices going, and it's, the, it's easy to it's you the feel heat that of the way. moment, and you feel opposition, that. you feel the. But juice. you know what? What I left from all this. Uh, I, I honestly and truly, I, I very rarely think about Eddie Johnson. I watched Eddie Johnson play a lot because I went to a lot of 80s basketball games. I saw him play a lot, and I thought he was a really good player. I know he's a tough-minded Chicago guy. But my sort of takeaway from all this is, man, Eddie's not a particularly interesting person if that's the way he approaches you know, dialogue about something he truly cares about. And this isn't like he Eddie, clearly is... he clearly cares about basketball, which I care about basketball. So I, I can respect that. I'm like, man, your approach to it is just quite frankly moronic. And it's 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 hard to go. Eh, I, don't, I don't even really care what this person thinks anymore because he's howling at the moon. Mm. It's a crazy person howling at the moon. Like, what? And he's you not the only guy that does it. You know, no, we're not no, picking no. on Eddie Johnson. I mean, but you like, turn on TNT, I, you dude, see four guys do it every week. You know what, though? I'm a huge Barkley fan. Mm. I love Barkley. And if you go back to that conversation, Barkley even said, hey, now, hold on. It doesn't make sense to have him go post up when Luca's in there. Like, he, he gets it. Mm. You know, but to me, they're focusing on the wrong thing. They're looking at it. They're going, well, we got to make this conversation about how come Luke and quite honestly, they're pandering to their giant New York audience that wants Luke. Uh, That's true. KP to fail. I don't think it's a. It is weird that there's a lot of people invested in his failure. That's very strange. Do you know why? Because there's a lot of miserable people yeah. that are unhappy, and the only way that they can achieve happiness is for other people to not achieve at a high level. That's what they get satisfaction of is seeing other people not have quality lives because their lives are unhappy it's called philadelphia <laughs> um it's an entire city it's amazing they even but hate santa in philadelphia it, man. come you know, on but if you if you seriously it's it's a it's a mindset if you just bury yourself in negativity then you're not gonna see other people having positive lives and positive things happen for them and you're not going to be invested in that you'd rather everyone just sort of be miserable and i mean fail. it happens with it jalen brunson it happens with Mavs fans. I mean, everybody is, everyone is frustrated. Hey, no one was more upset than me that time against Miami when Jalen turned it over, didn't get back on defense, and Hero banged a three in his face because he didn't pick him up. Right. That was frustrating. 
What am I about? To, like, I'm not about to just go argue with some random person I've never met and then get mad when they don't want to hear what I have to say anymore. You know what I mean? Right. It's a very like combative thing, but it's. And, and, and please understand if you're listening to this, I I'm I'm complicit in this kind of behavior. I've done these things on Twitter. I absolutely have, and ultimately, I become very disappointed in myself when I engage in it. It's very easy to get sucked into it, and I got to go out of my because I do like cynical humor. Like my favorite, one of my favorite people growing up was David Letterman, mm. who was very self-deprecating and had a lot of cynical type humor. And I, I do relate to that. And I like that sort of stuff. And I find that stuff to be very, very funny. But the idea of, hey, we all care about this. We're all knowledgeable about this. Instead of talking about it and debating it, I'm just going to attack your character because I don't agree with you. That's just like. It's just such a trash mentality. Mm. And it's a shame, too, because as a guard who played in an era that was dominated by big men, I'd really be curious to hear what Eddie Johnson has to say about post-ups and how he thinks teams could post up today. Because clearly, as a guy covering a team with Devin Booker, who's very, very talented, and a pretty nice big man in DeAndre Ayton who likes to post up, he sees a lot of this happen on a nightly basis. I'm sure he has really good takes on it. Can you pull up Eddie Johnson's, like, reference? So my memory, here's my memory of Eddie Johnson. I think of Eddie Johnson as a three. Um, I don't know what he's listed as. Six seven two fifteen. Okay, small forward and shooting guard. Yeah, so I think of, I always think of him as a three. Keep in mind, for example, Mark Aguirre was like what six five. Th- this is an era of the scoring small forward too, and you had a lot of guys. A lot of these guys operated on the baseline. I mean, my God, go watch Bernard King play in the eighties. I think he was about six eight. But he was a scoring small forward that operated mostly on the baseline. I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. If you go watch NBA TV and you watch games from the 80s, there will be plays in games where all 10 players are inside the three-point arc. I'm not joking. Yeah. it's And it's jarring to watch now. And so and three guys in the paint. Right. On the offense. <clears throat> so if that's the basketball you know, all right, you know, it's, I, someone – uh, tweeted me and they're like, hey, do you think these guys are just making this stuff up to try to get people worked up? And I'm like, no, they're reflecting their experiences. However, they have also had the experiences of having never stopped watching basketball. So surely they're analytical enough just as people of something that they're so attached to of seeing how different it is. Where were the moments in the last four years where they said, my God, Golden State needs to post up Zaza right now. <laughs> like, yeah. dude, all these threes. And, and and the other thing, too, is like people have a hard time separating points in the paint from posting up. Dude, Giannis doesn't post up. Mm. But he gets a crap ton of points in the paint because it's open to get in there. And you mentioned Luka earlier. It's not about, hey, let's not get close shots at the basket. It's, hey, let's not throw it into a guy whose back is to the basket and he's surrounded by defenders. Yeah, I mean, the goal is still, like I said, to get the ball as close to the basket as possible. But the fallback plan is different. It used to be a 15-foot fadeaway or turnaround jump shot is fine. Uh But now it is... If we can't get it from two feet, let's get it from 25 feet wide open because right. it counts as an extra point. I mean, it's an extra okay. point. That, that side right there is uh, – and I'm not, like, trying to beat anybody up. I'm a huge fan of Bob Sturm and the Bad Radio guys. I think they're really smart, smart guys. But they used to hammer – And Jake him. Kemp of the uh, <coughs> four-pointer. Yeah, Kemp is my hero. I love him. 
But they used to be very big on that show about average shot distance. Mm. And I'm like, man, that to me is the same as an individual plus minus. Like, I don't have a lot of use for that because there's no context for it. If you tell me the average shot distance for this team was 12 and the average shot distance for this team was 17, I'm like, well, were those 12-footers contested? Because I'd rather have the wide-open 17-footer. I'd much rather have non-contested shots than contested shots. So it's a stat without context. Yeah, well, and you could average 12 feet per shot, but are you taking it from 12 feet every time? How many right. of those shots are coming at the rim? Right, and and, and 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 it was a and they were mostly talking about it in a different era. But I never looked bad at three. I never thought three point shots were bad shots. Now I think a guy dribbling up and shooting a three pointer with a guy with a hand in his face with 20 seconds on the shot clock—that's a bad shot. Mm. But I just gave you context. Yeah. So I've never been like, no, don't shoot outside shots. I've just never felt that way, probably because, I mean, my dad was a lights-out shooter. I was a really good shooter. I think outside shooting is a big part of the game. So, The Mavs are shooting 39% on wide-open threes this season. That's, that's, what, what, is, what is league average on that? Uh, probably, I don't know. That might be a little above average, but it's probably around there. I was going to say that price But 39% on wide-open threes. If you take 10 threes, you're making four of them, which is 12 points. Right. That's a lot. Points. That's more than uh, you're hitting five of ten on the blow block. Yeah, that is. That's in fact, that's two more points for every ten shots you take. Right. And that's going to end up being a route. Yeah, this is competition. You have a hundred possessions. If you score two more points every ten times, that's twenty extra points you can get. Right. Over the course of a game, and if you do that over eighty-two games, yes, there will be some nights like the other night where you go fifteen for fifty-one, and it's embarrassing. There'll be nights like tonight where you go 18 of 39 and you win basically pretty much because you got hot at the right time. Yeah. Over 82 games, over 8,200 possessions, if you take 43s a game, that is a lot more points than you would score if you were posting up every time. It, it, here's what this is. This is the guy going to the blackjack table and going, I'm going against the odds because I'm badass at luck. Yeah, you're hitting on 16 with a full table. Bro, it's me. So I'm going to go against what the numbers tell me because it's me. Have you seen me? I'm a stud. Everybody get out of my way. Let's make this about me. That's what this whole conversation is. Let's just skew what's effective and make it about that one person. And that's what's important, isn't it? Mm. This is really just this big exercise on narcissism is really all this yeah, is. I mean, I, I don't like picking on people because of their age, but it's like the, the Simpson thing, the old man yells at Cloud. There are a lot of yell, uh, young people that yell at clouds, too. Hell, I yell that's at clouds what it is, and I'm man. middle-aged. It's a person standing on the edge of the ocean with a wave coming at them saying, you should stop right now. Right. I mean, if you've worked in the NBA for one day or 50 years, the way that a lot of these guys have, 30, 40 years been in basketball, you've been around long enough to see it change. You know people in front offices. You know exactly who's running teams. You know who the good players are, and you know what makes them good. You should be able to pick up on the patterns. Teams are going for ball-dominant wings and shooters, mm -hmm. versatility. Uh, typically, you're getting a little smaller, although I think it's kind of getting bigger now that there are more skilled big men. But your average playoff series is still going to be played between teams that have three or four guys who are between 6'6 six, six and 6'9 six, that can put the ball on the floor and score and shoot when they're open and that can switch on defense. That is the model that teams are going for. So either everybody is doing it wrong and you're right, or... Consider this possibility. You might be wrong. Yeah. I know it's crazy to think about, but you might be wrong. I think that's where we're at. And again, who's the team that's winning with this post-up stuff? 
Show me one. The best post-up player in the NBA. No, is, show, show well, me. Well, no, no, no. I, I want to I say this. The best post-up player in the NBA is Joel Embiid, and he plays on a team that – how many series have they won in his career? I mean, you can do the rings thing. I'll, I'll play the rings game with the, those people that think rings are all that matters. How many playoff series has the Sixers won? Two. If Have they? They got to the conference they won the finals last, last year. year. It was the conference finals, and they lost on to the, Toronto. On the no, shot. it was not the conference. Was finals. that the it semis? Was the second round. It was the second. Oh, they right. lost on the buzzer beater. Yeah. Now, sure, they were close. Did they win? <coughs> if the, if you're gonna do the I'm right and you're wrong thing, did they win? I mean, this is an easy game to play. I mean, dude, what their, is bi- their, their biggest problem right now is that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are taking up the same space on the damn floor. They don't have enough shooting. Yeah. That's their problem. They got two guys that are really good in the post. They don't have anyone that's good from three. That is I their main I, issue. How did Toronto win the championship last year? Is by ISO and three point shooting. Yeah, they didn't post up at all. Yeah, I really think that Ben Simmons is a point center. If I, I had Ben Simmons, he'd be my five. Yeah, I mean the the thing is like with every player, is he okay with doing that? Is he okay with being a role man or playing like Draymond? Because if he is, then he would be he'd be better than Draymond. Yeah, but that would mean playing without the ball a lot of the time, which is well, tough. and and it really is hard for a twenty two, twenty three year old guy to understand. Hey, we're gonna do this unconventional thing so we can win. Mm. Draymond was a second round pick. Yeah, he doesn't really care, does he? He's. I mean, he's just. Uh, have I told you the Greg Buckner stuff? Uh, I don't think On so. Draymond. So Greg Bruckner, Buckner was running Houston's drafts workouts, like Shedder and those guys, you know, do here. Mm. And <clears throat> Draymond came in, and Buck was like, "We have got to draft this guy." He won every individual drill. He won every team drill. And he said, and then when we took breaks, everybody was just hanging around him. It was like it was so obvious. You have to draft this guy. He mm. matters in such a big way. And they didn't. And Bug was like, dude, you could just see it. You know, if you want to get into this whole uh, ballers no thing or whatever, mm. you know, Buck's a baller. And baller, he's like, that guy has it. I don't know what the numbers say or whatever. I know they're sitting there going, no, he's a six seven. Or six now he's six six or however tall he is he's a six six guy that can't shoot but he's like he just had a thing where he won and it mattered and uh, you know that's 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 pretty incredible he slips to the second round but you got to have Steph and you got to have Clay and these other things but man he made that team go as much as anybody else his functionality in that team made it extraordinary yeah, and I mean imagine if last year for example with Jimmy Butler in Philly. <coughs> Butler had the ball, and Ben Simmons set a screen for him. They, they ran pick and roll together. How do you stop that? Right. You, know, you don't. You don't. You don't. But what also, you know, Jimmy Butler didn't work there because Jimmy Butler wanted to ISO. Yeah. So you ISO Jimmy Butler, and now you have Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid playing yeah. off of an ISO? That yeah. ain't going to work. It's not going to work, man. I mean, that is the – and now you can say the same thing about Ben Simmons that you can say about Draymond and that he's a big guy who can't shoot. So how does how that gonna how is that going to affect your offense? But – it's about finding ways to fit in, yeah. right? And Ben Simmons will eventually do that. And even then, even though they have all these <laughs> issues, Philly is still going to probably get home court in the East playoffs. They'll probably go to the second round, maybe even I upset Milwaukee. The, I could see them getting to the conference finals. I mean, they're not beating Milwaukee. but No, they're probably not. But you, but you don't know who's going to be They're going for it. And, hey, I'm all four teams playing a different style. I felt pop last year whenever he was like, dude, it's too homogenous. All you have to do is look at who won the three-point line, and you know the, who won the game. Right. But it used to be who won points in the paint. So, I mean, you can you can yeah. play this game in the 50s, too. Right, but right. 
I'm all for diversity, man. The league is very <coughs> uh, it is very high pick and roll heavy right now, so I appreciate that the Sixers post up. I appreciate that uh, you have teams run in motion. I appreciate that Denver runs stuff in the high post. Yeah. Like, I like all of this. I think it's cool. I think Houston and Dallas aren't anything alike, even though their best players are very similar. Like, yeah. I think it's cool to have different stuff and have it work, but you're, you can never run from your problems. Yeah. You can never run from your weaknesses. You can't hide your weaknesses anymore. The rules are set up to where you can't hide bad shooters. You can't hide unskilled players. If you're not multi-talented, then you better be really, really, really good at the one thing you can do. Otherwise, you will not even be in the NBA anymore. All I can think about right now is what does a completely healthy Tony Allen look like in 2019? It would be, it would be interesting. I want to see. After, the way, after you said what you just said and the way you said it, all I can think about is I want to see Tony Allen. Completely healthy and in his prime, in his physical prime in this NBA. I love Tony Allen. I do too. Guy, he could he could stop LeBron, but he can't make a layup. <laughs> it's so crazy. So, but weird. he would make he would make a shot at the craziest time. He would. He, he absolutely would. would. He's yeah, absolutely. All right, man. I feel like that was a good venting session. Yeah. All this all this complaint about negativity it? and all it was was just. Oh, sh- no. Maybe we might have to restart. That's all right. Um. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, this is all fun. The NBA is an entertainment business. It, it's good to have conflict, whatever, drama. But, like, there's only so many things that are true. And you, you have to have the judgment to be able to recognize what is true and what is not. And the truth is there are a lot of other ways to play basketball that are more efficient than posting up. And generally, that's what we're going to see until it's not true anymore. Yeah. And – you can either run from it or you can just embrace it right. because there's a lot of fun stuff going on right now. I think the lesson I take out of this is don't stop doing successful things to see if you can make something that's not successful work. Yeah. Why would you do that? What what walk of life do you do that in? Where, you, where yeah, that translates to Where, where, where there's something at stake. I understand if you're a retired person and you want to see if you can paint. Mm. Like, I get that. But if you're in a competitive situation where there's something at stake – why do you go away from success to see if you can make this thing that's not working work? Yeah. Well, who does that? Yeah. I mean, if you have if if you're just trying to change your lifestyle to vegetarian because you want to feel healthier, it doesn't really matter if you slide every now and then and eat meat, but if you have a stomach condition or an intestinal issue where eating red meat could really really affect your quality of life, then you better eat your freaking vegetables. Right, dude. You know, if you're trying mm. to win games, like in 2016 and 2017, whenever the Mavs were trying to patchwork things together for a couple months at the beginning of the season, it made sense to play through Barnes because they didn't have point guard play. They didn't have a really good role man in the starting lineup at the time, so they had to go to ISO and post-ups because it was turnover-free basketball, and they were right. generally able to keep keep games close. Right. But now they have the point guard. They got the guy in the car. They got the fancy Ferrari. They can't afford to try any weird stuff. You have to play the right way, and this is the right way. Luka does it better than almost everybody else in the world. And so to take the ball out of his hands is going totally against the alpha code. Like, Luka is the alpha. Yeah. He is a top five player in the NBA. So you can get KP going if you want, but you're only going to make yourself worse if you do it. And these guys as competitors should be able to realize it. And, and that, KP's bought into and this. And he's bought in. Why are we talking he's about this? He's a max this? level player. This is truly a stupid conversation. He's a max level player that is okay with being a sidekick. Yes. It's incredible. What are we doing? This is one of the most like un two years ago, if you would have said that this was happening, I would say you are so high right now. Right. There's no way KP, who's an all star, is, is not discussed. gonna take a back seat to a rookie from Slovenia. Right. No way. Wow. Guess what? 
The truth hurts. It does. The truth is out there, Bob. It is. Bob bot. Robob. It oh yeah, thank you. Beep boop, beep boop. Skin, it is midnight. We need to get the F out is of it here. Really? Good God. Uh, go it home. was nice to start off the new year with a win. We're gonna be seeing y'all a lot more here pretty soon, not only because we'll be recording more often, but because the Mavs are at home for the next five games. Some really, really big games coming up. It's gonna be a good couple weeks of hoops. Uh, before the Mavs head out back on the road again, back to the West Coast to play the Warriors and hopefully get some revenge against the Kings. We will be with you all along the way, uh, talking hoops with you like only real hoopers can. That's right. Yeah. But real ball recognized game ball or something. Indeed, yeah. Don't sleep on the truth. This is Numbers on the Boards presented by Bedgear. I'm Bobby. He is Skin. We'll see you guys next week. Later, man.